go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support and, of course, your contributions. Love you. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. My book, The Cognitive Rampage, A Scientific Approach to Self-Discovery, Change, and Life Optimization, is now available on Amazon. Search The Cognitive Rampage, and you'll find the second edition there, uh, as well as the Kindle version as well. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. I had the topics laid out. It seems like Adam's Rampage notes just keep filling up faster and faster. used to take a while to spread them out, but they're getting filled up quickly. And the topics for tonight, well, they're listed. The typical around the mental health, right, where I like to stay, that's self-improvement, self-optimization, self-awareness increasing, life transition. I'm going to talk about the external and internal locus of control. I'm going to move on to talk about kids' psychology teaching kids psychology. After that, I'm going to close up with what I'm calling seasonal friends or seasons of friends. And I'll explain more when I get there. But it's not what you think. It's not necessarily about uh, the cliche line that people just come in seasons, period. But it's something like that. But we'll close out the podcast. I had listed on there that I was going to talk about codependent relationships, uh, and I won't be doing that. Uh, the topic seemed not to flow with the line. I don't know. Sometimes I look at all the topics and I try to bring it full circle at the end and the codependency just didn't fit. So I pulled the codependency out. So if you're listening tonight to hear about codependency and how I break that down, uh, how to avoid it, how to get out of it, how to recognize it, et cetera, uh, tune into the next Adam's Rampage. So I added a topic actually at the end uh, of the day. And it's the one, I'm sorry, but everyone is, when I say everyone is irrational, right? So not everyone is talking about it, but it just seems to be the social media hot topic in the news, et cetera. And right, our attention is is today's new currency. So if our attention is today's currency, well, that's what the news channels are going to play. That's what you're going to read on the ticker, et cetera. So to stand or to kneel, that is the question, right? Now I've seen... So many arguments for both sides. And remember, I like to say if you can't argue both sides, well, then you're actually naive. That you have to be able to understand both sides, argue both sides of the argument. That way you can thoroughly understand an idea and from there possibly consider yourself not so naive. If we just argue one side of any topic, well, then we just know our side or our belief. And then we'll find the knowledge and seek out the rationalizations we need to prove our view, right? So true competence in something and to be confident enough to actually post and talk about something, well, you got to know both sides. I don't think you qualify just because you're an American. I mean, you can post your opinion, right? That's what it's all about. Please share it, right? That's the freedom. But see, if you're saying that, hey, I can post whatever I want to, despite if I know anything about my belief or whatever, well, yeah, you're right. But if you happen to be the same person that says, well, don't kneel because, well, it's just not right, 
well, you may be leaning into enforcing your perception. Now, I may lose friends <laughs> after this. I may lose listeners. But what I'm going to try to do is talk about both sides of the argument and then try to pull it in nice and tight for the close to try to wrap this up. But sports teams in life and what we experience is all subjective to what it means to the person, to the team, to the city, right? All this is subjective about the importance of it. So if I first wanted to attack the idea of the importance of that Sunday's game, well, we're open to that perception, right? If you're on the field, it's important. If you're a family member, if you're a loyal fan, right? These things are important. It's imperative. But for some that may not tune in or watch or care, well, the fact that it's Sunday and people are taking a knee doesn't really matter. Now, with my history of playing sports all through my, well, forever, <laughs> up to 22, 23 even, for me, the national anthem it gave me chills. It still does when I listen to it. And so when you're raised in that, what the anthem becomes isn't necessarily just what the words in the anthem mean. For a lot of athletes, it's the beginning of what you love or it's why you do what you do. It kind of gives you a bigger picture, a little look at it before you start at your game because that's what they are, right? Just games. So your experience with what the national anthem is or means is based on your experience, what you've experienced in life, how it's related to your life. If you're a veteran, et cetera, that can play on both sides. I know a lot of veterans that are pissed off about that side. So my point is what you experience with the history between you and the anthem or Sundays or that day, well, that's going to anchor concrete, whatever belief you stand behind, right? So if my belief is based in my experience, which is it gives me chills, it's always meant something, it was a respect thing or something like that. Well, then what I perceive based on what's happening is, well, utter disrespect. But again, that's my perception of the event of what's happening. See, we can't argue on one side to say you don't have a right to that perception because that's what both sides are doing. Or the multiple angles. I keep referring to enforcing of beliefs, enforcement of beliefs, right? If your experience with the flag may be something else, or the anthem, it may be something else. That perception, well, I can even argue the point for those that would say the flag may represent a symbol of nationalism, right? Not that it's not okay, maybe, to be proud of your country, etc. But, I mean, maybe oh, in a far-off, distant place, we can imagine a place with no borders, with no flags. Sure, it seems crazy, but I'd rather hope for the optimistic than be pessimistic of the inevitable. But perhaps the nationalism that we stand behind, well, that country represents multiple perceptions across the board to different people. So for some, the country, the flag, it represents hard work, what it was built upon, they say, right? But we also know the history of the flag. I mean, I'm part Native American, and I'll just stop there with how that story ended. So we could argue many different angles. Well, the flag was built on the backs of slaves. And this country was built on the hardworking blue-collar people, too. I mean, my grandfather fought in the Korean War, etc. I mean, 
that's what it was built on, right? But if it's built on those wars, good men and women that fought and died, right? This to me is a representation of destruction sometimes, but it's also a representation of what we consider to be right of the world. Another enforcement of beliefs. See, if you listen to the podcast or read the book, you know that I talk about there is no truth. If you ride a roller coaster and you tell me it wasn't scary, I ride the roller coaster and I tell you it was the scariest ride of my life. Who's telling the truth? See, it's the perception. Your experience of the roller coaster creates your truth. So if I argue the fact that I fought for the flag, I had friends that died for the flag and what that flag means, well, then my experience with that is going to create a much different concrete belief than those that may not be from this country or immigrated here or have had a bad experience or a bad go at it with the country. So when we start trading beliefs about something as simple as kneeling or standing, well, it starts to tap into so many people's concrete beliefs and experiences of things that, well, you get this polarization that you see. I mean, let's face it, America is more polarized than it's ever been. I remember in the early 90s, it was Crips and Bloods. It was red and blue. And our fucking government adopted the same thing. <laughs> you know, they ran with it long before that, but emphasized the red and the blue. The team choosing, right? No man or woman's free to think for yourself, right? You must lay a label on your schemas of how you think, right? I mean, let's argue all the sides, right? We can say that the flag could stand for oppression or genocide, couldn't we? But if we're bringing democracy, freedom, right, we're changing the lives of people and we're free and all of the other things we could say, that's what the flag stands for. Yeah. We could argue that a protest is a protest, that if you argue that they can't do that or choose to do that or protest how they see fit, well, then you're subjectively saying, well, now we've got to consider what type of protesting is really allowed. I mean, no one's getting hurt. So if we're crossing violent lines, I get it. But people are kneeling on a Sunday before a game. And I have to ask, when it comes on, do you take your hat off and stand up at home? You might, sure. Or does it not count if you're not in the present? How's that work? I think these are honest questions, but the feeling that's being expressed through all of these concrete thoughts that people have are based in those experiences with the flag, with other people, with your beliefs, right? When people talk about their beliefs, I say that they're exchanging top secret information. You're handing them that envelope, that, that folder. You're going, here's the file on me in this belief case. Handle with care. So when somebody challenges that belief, well, essentially they're challenging everything you believe to be true. You can't have that. But you know there's no truth, right? You rode the roller coaster. So the idea of kneeling or not kneeling, the protesting, or is it proper protesting? I don't know when in the Constitution says proper protesting, right? But sure, there's guidelines. But if you're arguing that that's not how you do it, well, then you're arguing your own against your own point that, well, America stands for freedom because we have the freedom to protest and say what we say, right? That's the beauty of this place is for the most part, you can say what you want and you're not killed or sometimes, right? You may disappear or at least you'll be social media bashed. But again, you're not going to get social media bashed if you're not on social media, right? Just don't go online. So maybe the freest country? I don't know. That's debatable. 
But the idea of if you believe that it stands for freedom and hard work, et cetera, and then someone kneels to that, then you call that disrespect based on it. Well, then you're actually challenging your own point that the fact that they're free to be able to protest and say whatever they want in this country. Your perception of what respect is is also subjective. Some people say, ma'am. Some people open doors. Some people don't. Some people get doors open for them and don't say Thank you. Manners are subjective even. So perceptions of respect, well, we could flip it, right? I mean, I tell you, we, we can say, hey, that's disrespectful. Even if you don't believe in it, stand up anyway. But are we telling people to be false? To then, hey, just even if you don't agree, it's respectful, right? It's like, hey, you're in another man's house, right? You, you just don't do that, right? Just unsaid principles, right? So if we argue that, hey, you just kind of stand through it. Sure, there's other ways to protest, right? There's other things to do to get involved. Sure, we can criticize and come out with all the different ways that they can protest, sure, but that's what they chose, and that's the great part about this country. They can do that. Healing's not a problem. But my issue is if, play the chess game further. Play it down the line. I mean, I've watched family members argue about this. Almost go to fisticuffs. I mean, I joke in uh, one of my stand-ups I'm trying to put together is, you know, I wish Facebook had a fight button to where if you hit the fight button, you automatically appear in front of each other and you have to work it out. I wonder how many people would be commenting what they comment if there was a fight button that you hit, you teleport, and you go, okay, that's it. It's time to do it, right? <laughs> that's funny to me. But go through all that. If families are willing to disagree, willing to go to fisticuffs for a certain belief about what a song means, I mean, hell, let's break down the words of the song, right? I mean, it's literally bombs going off and people dying in the middle of a war for freedom, right? For an idea, for a belief, for something different, for change, right? All these great things. But these words, it says bombs and exploding. I mean, we're we're singing, almost idolizing, if you will, a moment of, yes, freedom, but also destruction too, right? I mean, what about the families of the people that died during the bombs going off? How would they feel if we could talk to them? There's so many perceptions of this. That's what I mean. So if you find yourself anchored to one belief about what this is, well, question why you believe that. And then if you want your own right to your own perception of any event and your own opinion, well, then you please need to be respectful that other people, too, have that right to their truth, to their perception of the event. We can disagree. We can share difference of beliefs as we exchange top secret, top secret information. If they don't correlate or they're not the same, that's okay. But we can be respectful of that right, right? Because at the end of the argument, we can all step back and say, hey, isn't it a beautiful place that we can be in? Because them taking a knee doesn't hurt you, doesn't hurt me. And it may disrespect you, right? But if that's you, you are creating those feelings. They're not disrespecting you. You have a perception of their behavior that's challenging a belief you have. You then create your thoughts from what you believe. Your perception of what they're doing, your perception of your behavior creates those thoughts. And then what you're thinking creates how you feel. So to lazily say that, well, they are making me angry. They are disrespecting me. No. What you allow yourself to think based on what you believe, what you perceive from their behavior, well, you're pissing yourself off. If we are to be respectful 
and we want others to be respectful of our right to the perception of the event, the moment, the future, the now, the tomorrow, the past, our present. If, if that is what we want, well, then we have to give that same freedom to those. And it's okay because at the end of it, no one's getting hurt. The knees don't teach anything. We're showing something. How effective of a protest is it really? Well, everybody's talking about it. See, I've heard people arguing that no one cares. It's not even doing anything. You could do things to get involved. Well, look, <laughs> next to Pokemon, back in the day, Pokemon Go, man, this shit is all over the place for in a day or two. And that's just one Sunday. You got a whole season of this shit to go. But walk it down the line, back to the chess game, right? Walk it down the line from the fight button on through families arguing. The polarization of this nation disgusts me. We're willing to fight for these concrete beliefs based on our experiences of our own choice, not truths, our opinion, and we enforce our beliefs onto others Believe our way or else. Live our way or else. Pick a topic that's not polarizing our nation. And this is just another one adding to it. And we all fed into it, including myself. I just sit back and watch the shit show. Look at this. Could that eventually lead to something civil? Happening here? States fighting states? I don't know. Let's hope not. And I hope we can move on on social media and go, huh, that's their right to that perception. That's the freedom of our country. We can't stop, start censoring what's too much, what's too little, what's not okay. If violence is not involved, we can't start censoring now. If we start censoring now and we follow this hardcore progressive movement that's starting on some of these young college campuses and we're headed for trouble. If we start limiting our free will, then we're headed for trouble. When one party tries to eliminate another party or another person or another group's right to choose or right to think how they do, the Civil War doesn't seem that far from me. Let's hope it doesn't go to that spot, yeah? And can we move on? Nobody's getting hurt. If you feel disrespected, change your perception. Stop pissing yourself off. They have a right to it. You have a right to it. The owner's got a right to probably fire them for certain things. If their contract even says that, good luck with all those lawyers. I mean, let's start a big fucking hoopla. I mean, are you serious? I'm not even talking about the president. That's just... Enough of that. The main topics, before I added that topic to just chime in on, probably roped in myself in this. The subtopic really is called life transitions, right? It's a talking about a portion or a little part of the process in a life transition, if you will. And I'll pose a few questions as I walk through this too. You can ask yourself, right? I'm an avid chess player. I played for a long time since I was a kid. Somehow, Beneath all that uh, egoism I was putting out as a kid, I was in the chess club. That was me in the chess club. That's right. I still love the game today. Still love it. But when I played, I had my own strategy, right? There's offensive players, defensive players. You're mixing the strategies, right? 
You're counting the moves ahead, your prediction, breaking down. So if we looked at a chess game just basically, right, and called yourself an offensive or a defensive player, right? Amazing that it's coming off of the NFL, huh? If we move our pieces forward rapidly and we put pressure on the other side, perhaps that's what I mean by an offensive player. If we're defensive, we may set up some sort of formation, defense that we like. I always like to play both of them. I would sometimes appear as a defensive player, but technically I was making offensive moves and vice versa. So the question that that leads to, right, is are you reactionary or proactionary in your life, in your choices, in your relationship, in your job if you want to pick it? You see, to me, reactionary is the closest to chimp behavior. Whether you believe we evolved from chimps or whatever, everything you want to walk through, just that's the closest that I see. Says we're just reacting, reacting to the environment. That's the reactionary life. Proactionary. Well, finish the sentence. See, we created, we set it up, or are we too busy bouncing our narrative around to fit what happens around us and what we like to say happens to us? This happened, so I have to do this. This happened to me. She said that. They said this, so now I think like this. They made me mad, right? We've already covered that. I'm just reacting here. I'm only doing this because of you. If you didn't, well, then I wouldn't. We're living reactionary. One lily pad to the next. Well, eventually that gator gets you, right? You run out of lily pads. So this references the idea in mental health as the external or the internal locus of control. So are you reactionary or proactionary in choices in life? Pick a field, pick a category you want to. Means really external locus of control versus internal locus of control. If you are an external locus of control dominated, well then you believe that it only happened because of them, they, the environment. That you don't necessarily control what is happening, that you actually function on a reactionary lifestyle cycle. If we focus on the external locus of control, we give ourselves rooms for excuses. We rarely make plans, or if we make plans, we quit those plans at the first roadblock or speed bump that we come to. The reason I didn't is because of you. I couldn't because I lost my job. You know that friend that calls you and the first thing they say is, well, see, what happened was, see, when you hear that, what happened was, you're like, ah, shit, here it comes. (laughs) That external locus of control. Internal locus of control people believe that they control their destiny, if you will. That I decide what happens next tomorrow. Now, for the most part, right, if we are full-on internal locus of control, and we believe we control every single thing, well, you may wind up having some control issues because we can't control everyone, the world, and everything around us, right? We can take precautions, sure. And let's hope people aren't fully external locus of control or reactionary, although you may know some people that are like that. And then if you go through the list and ask that question, either way you want to, are you reactionary or proactionary? Are you external or internal locus of control? What you'll find is most people that consider themselves happy and or subjectively successful operate on an internal locus of control method. They believe that they control their destiny, their health, their next step, 
for the most part. Because again, if we believe too fully over, right, that we're a hundred percent internal locus of control, well, well, we can only control our environment as much as we can. And again, the people around us, right, we can control that to a point. But what I mean is we can tend to lean one way more than the other. And so when you look at your life, your day, your year, I urge you to look at it like a chessboard. Please not like checkers. Please not like checkers. Look at it like a chessboard. And if you don't know the game of chess, learn it. Because you can apply it in life. You can apply so much of the knowledge and the strategies behind chess in your own life, for sure. So if we begin to look at the chess board of our life, our relationships, our jobs, we know the value of certain pieces, but we can sacrifice certain pieces to get better positioning on another. We can be offensive, we can be defensive when we need to, or we can combine the two. We can be proactionary. I love the line in the movie, The Spy Game. And he's talking to his assistant, hands her a burn file. She asks when to burn it. She's like, why are you doing all this already? And he turns around and he asks her, when did Noah build the ark, Lois? Before the rain. Before the rain. So if we can structure our lives for the most part before the rain, we can then avoid things. We can even almost anticipate certain things. We can play both sides. And if you take what I talked about first in the beginning of this podcast, that to be competent, and in order to be competent enough to consider ourselves competent, we got to know both sides of the argument, right? i got to know if I move that piece there, they can move there, then there, they could move there. Their most likely move is probably there if I move there, but if I move four moves ahead or 14 moves ahead, based on how they're playing aggressively or not, I can then come up with the next best move. That's what I mean by anticipate. You can walk that line. So if we are proactionary and Pick a facet of life. Pick a facet. Pick. It doesn't matter. Your job, the, the book you want to write, the podcast you want to start, being a parent, your business partner, your sibling, your kids, right? Whatever that is. Proactionary. We teach our kids that, right? We try to think about this, think about the future, think about that. Reactionary. You will find yourself living in the external locus of control, giving up your so-called destiny, if you will, based on whatever happens. And it's not your fault. I mean, they pissed you off, right? Can you see it? If we continue to live by that external, where we'd eventually wind up, you're just bouncing, right? You're just left to the chances of the tide and whichever way the wind blows, right? That's what your boat, it's like being in a boat with no rudder. <laughs> Engine works, but you can't turn that shit. Mixing that internal. Planning it can make us responsive, but if we're responding to anticipations, then we possibly have a plan for that. But if we simply sit back and say, I am a victim of my environment, even even if you want to walk into martyrism and become a martyr and say, well, I am here because of my own choices, that's still a version of external locus of control because you can't change your past. So if we're sitting there upset at ourselves and mad at ourselves because of our past, well, that's not our fault, right? We can't go back and change those past choices. So I'll sit here and be mad at myself, nobody else. And I'll just say, all right, there, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging myself. I'm here. Okay. That's the external locus of control where it leads you to focus on a strategy. 
It can be fun too. It can be distracting. It's a good time to take a look at it. You can see other avenues you may never have thought about when you really put your plan or your strategy under a microscope. You know? In my book, there's the IDE inventory, the interest to enthusiasm inventory that you can work. A lot of people don't know, but in my book is very interactive. There's forms you do. You come out with your whole personal life philosophy. It's yours. And I got this inventory in the back that I created. It lets you know a lot about yourself. You really go through an inventory of people, places, things, personal beliefs, etc., and it really reveals where you're could be lacking, where you need some more. You may not even know it. You're like, oh shit, I didn't notice that. But it also puts down things you're interested in, right? It's about moving them from interest to enthusiasm. The principle of change I talk about in the book is the CCE principle, that competence equals confidence, that confidence then breeds enthusiasm. So if we are interested in something, well, if we're interested, we follow that by getting competent, right? We may do research or better yet, we create experiences. And then with enough experience, we can deem ourselves competent on both sides and call ourselves confident. Now, confident doesn't necessarily guarantee enthusiasm. And enthusiasm, remember, is what I call actually happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It's an emotional moment we have that we create ourselves based on our own perception. But that enthusiasm is something we can cultivate. And we cultivate that through getting competent. So that confidence... Again, doesn't always lead to enthusiasm, but at least we can be confident it doesn't make us enthusiastic, right? So any interest you follow through can build to that enthusiasm. So when you apply a strategy in your life, when you apply moves to your life or ideas or interests or new people, new places, new things, right? Even self-analysis, when we can expand on that, then we can look at our entire blueprint and we can work that blueprint and set up the chessboard how we want it to. Because again, right, there's no truth. So we can shape how powerful our pieces are. We can shape what the next move is. Hell, we can shape what the future we hope would be like. That's the beautiful part, the freedom, right? And we don't want to take freedoms away, do we, just because we're personally offended. The second topic is kid psychology. Now, I know they offer psychology courses in high school, etc., college. Heck, even the psychology 101 for the most part really just says, hey, there's a thing called psychology and here's where it came from, right? They take you all the way back to where people thought uh, it was demons and uh, you were possessed and well, apparently those three young girls that are being tormented by their father that I shared on Tribe of Change, it's still happening. They're performing exorcisms. But back then when it was demons and then it kind of changed with, oh, it's the different fluid colors in your body, right? Then we move to the age of philosophy that walks us through, right? The new age where Freud comes in, where we all really know where that picks up, right? So, I mean, that's what they teach you. You know, in 19 this, they came up with that. Then they had this idea, the ego ID and all these things are created, right? And mind you, let me just point something out that ever since Freud brought up the subconscious, well, we have still absolutely minimal research to prove that the subconscious actually exists, even after him bringing up the idea of the subconscious into um, mainstream, if you will. So just a thought. Left side, left field. All right. My point is we're so busy spreading the awareness of mental health, which is good. I'm for that, right? I'm not sure what that means, that we're aware mental health exists. Yeah, I'm aware whether I'm happy, enthusiastic, sad, or sure, I'm, I'm aware. Or if we're bringing attention to diagnosis, I guess, or, or understanding or sympathy. But, I mean, for me, it's more bring the education. 
not just be aware there's mental health, right? Bring the knowledge, bring something. And rather than teach the kids something that they need to memorize, right? Like who invented, uh, who had the Maslow's hierarchy, right? Who has the pyramid, right? Who invented that, right? Well, I guess I just gave it away, Maslow, right? My point is rather than memorizing standard shit like that, which really doesn't have much application that they could Google at their two thumbs anyway, right? Is teach them the actual mechanics behind it. Teach them what it means. Teach them the behavioral psych, the behavioral psychology, the social, environmental, and the cognitive psychology. Uh, trust me, I have talked to some bright, bright kids. And I've also talked to some kids that was, were told to me weren't so bright. And after I talked to them, it's amazing how they're able to pick up almost faster than adults when you're trying to explain to them that there's real no tr- that there's not a truth right that the even moral obligations these things are based in subjective ideas and perceptions they can understand that right because they're still young their imagination is is wide open you know kids are so resilient and they're so open right so when you start telling them concepts about their you know how they tell their story what's their movie like right what what are the abcs of cognitive re- of cognitive reframing of cognitive behavioral therapy what does that mean well, what does it mean to feel and to think and to help them separate that, you know, we don't have to operate on just your emotions, that your emotions actually come from what you think, right? You can always do a fun game that I like to do where I'm like, all right, you're auditioning for a part right now. You're sitting there, right? What I want you to do, show me sadness. Show me sadness right now. What are you thinking? Show me joy. What are you thinking? Right? We have to have that thought to create that feeling. Kids can understand that so they know what they think to create what they feel, right? We can talk to them about behaviors. I mean, bring in things like Rat Park. What a cool-ass experiment. If you don't know about Rat Park and addiction, please Google that shit. Look it up. It was groundbreaking when it came to the idea of, uh, of addiction, right? So Dr. Carl Hart's been on the podcast. He talked a lot about that. But these kids can understand it. I mean, if we want to bring awareness to mental health, I think we can almost do people a disservice because we start pointing out, hey, mental health exists, bipolar exists. Well, what happens when when awareness of ADHD came out? Every teacher under the fucking sun became a psychologist who was diagnosing every kid with ADHD because they got a little hyper or they didn't want to conform to their shitty ass way of teaching. Right. Not them personally, but the system they have to teach in. Right. So that's what came. So when we made it aware that bipolar exists, well, shit, you hear people off the cuff just say, hey, uh, yeah, he's bipolar, man, or, or he thinks he's bipolar. I think I'm bipolar. You know, let me get some shit straight right now. So another left field, you know, this happens in the rampage. Listen, bipolar is a very, very, very serious parentheses theoretical diagnosis, but very serious and very, very rare. It is not something you just pick up along the way, okay? You just don't catch this along the way. And the true separation of bipolar, go back to a podcast too with Dr. Uh, Robert Duff, a psychologist that came on. I even think Dr. Parker Mott and I talked about it before. But just to set people straight, please. Please, we're aware bipolar exists by now, but it doesn't mean that you're happy one day or the next minute and the next day you're sad, okay? That's not what this is, all right? When they say you're sad, it's, and it doesn't flip like that, right? You can say there's rapid cycling, sure, but even more rare, good luck with that. And it's on a massive difference of a scale than people off the cuff talk about, right? To be bipolar, it's two weeks to six months of severe depression symptoms. And I'm talking about you want to kill yourself every seven seconds, withdrawn, overeating, undereating, oversleeping, under, uh, undersleeping, right? All these ideas that we understand that come with depression, but seriously, seriously deep, dark thoughts for two weeks at least straight up to six months, right, or further. And then the most important, the, the key, the key criterion to bipolar is what's called mania. 
right? When you go into a manic phase, mania does not mean happy. Okay. Mania does not mean you drank too many fucking beers and you're just acting like an asshole, right? That's not mania. Okay. That's not manic. That's not what that means. Manic usually is incorporated with a little hint of terrible, terrible and risky sexual choices is usually has a, a, a sprinkle of that in there, but it's, you get the idea to paint your house bright purple at 3 a.m. and you find yourself in Walmart buying it. You've come home, you've prepped some of the house, but not most of it. You start painting it the opposite end. You get a quarter way done with your house and you realize you have to fly to Las Vegas and play at this one craps table. You book the flight, go to Las, go to Las Vegas, right? You're right. That's mania. And this has to last for a longer period of time. It's not a bad day and a good day. All right. So there's your left field education on bipolar, right? But we can <laughs> come in full circle. All right. Back to the kids. All right, back to the kids. We could teach them that. You know, I mean, I, I jokingly said, I mean, what about classes that seriously cover insurance coverage, right? Medicare, uh, budget planning, and not just that uh, life skills class where you got to suck on some dummy's rubber lips when they teach you CPR either, right? Not just that, but actual classes that incorporate real life, right? I mean, to teach a child psychology and say, this is the theoretical ideas. This is how you can affect it. This is how you can implement your own change. You're literally handing those children a fucking superpower, a superpower to be able to say, I can change my perception of what I believe this story is and I can make it my own story, right? These are important keys talking about that. Instead, we, a lot of times just let the social interaction and the cultural influence just kind of shape that to where the kid just is aware about sadness or depression or they're aware of this or that. All right, that's just what you do. Okay, you go to college, you get the debt, you get the degree, you get married, you have the baby, you have the one and a half kids, right? You buy the house, right? Then you, you get into those things rather than opening that world up to them and what they experience along the way, you know? And more so than just the school system, the parents, we are the most influential and trust me, when I tell you they focus more on what we do than what we say. Trust me. They know and they see. So if we can even as parents bring that education to them, tell them what they might experience, what thoughts may happen, what that really means. I mean, we can educate ourselves on it. We don't have to just hand our kid off to a therapist. Sometimes you need to. But my point is, I think it's also our job as parents to also, if we're helping with the homework at the house and we're helping with all the other educational things, right? Probably not as much as Google is, but if we're helping with those things the best you can, I think it's our job as parents too, is to learn about psychology, philosophy, learn about these things, teach those things as well. Not just treat them like, all right, your life's going to be just fine. You're going to roll through it. You have some ups and downs and that's life. Okay. Deal with it, right? I think with the increased access that the younger generation has to research anything is detrimental to them at the same time, good for them, right? Our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. I mean, they don't have to know anything anymore. They just Google it and look it up. It's amazing. They're going to be like, they know everything, right? Just because they got to Google it. They don't have to know anything. It's outdated almost to know anything, right? You just clog up information. But I mean, but they can look up what bipolar means. I mean, we know what it's like when you WebMD your sore throat. Holy shit, you've got seven diseases and you've only been on the website for 20 minutes, right? So, I mean, imagine a kid who doesn't know any better, who hears about mental health awareness, researches bipolar and thinks that they've been happy and sad each day. So they must be that. Then they find, right, where does that go? Awareness sounds good. It always sounds good, doesn't it? If we bring awareness, we also have to bring 
the competence. We got to bring the knowledge behind it to say, Hey, this exists. This is what you'll experience. This is what it can be like. Instead of having to talk about what pop star killed themselves or overdosed on something. And that's how they learn about what depression is. That's a dangerous road to go down. Perhaps the last segment is something you could share with your kids. The subtopic, if you will, is just social or social influence, and it's about friends. Now, I'm sure right now I could hand you the microphone and I say, all right, give me your best cognitive rampage about what friends are, what friends mean, what your definition of friends are. But again, you know, I start every topic with truth is the perception, right? And whatever you believe based on your experiences, well, the truth to you, right? That's your top secret information. But I think... A generation that was raised on television shows like Friends, for instance. I know if you're a Friends lover or whatever, you're like, I love that show. It's it's my favorite. Um, It's not reality. And when people get raised on the idea that reality means that, I mean, can you imagine if all those best friends married and married swapped and cheated when they were married and crossed over girlfriends and boyfriends. And really, I mean, really it's not your baby. Like you're out of your mind, right? They were just always okay with it. Right. (laughs) But this can begin to show irrationalities to the youth that are raised on things like that. Right. I mean, go all the way back further, right? The breakfast club movies that designate what this is supposed to mean, what friends are, what, who we are. You see, a lot of times I found myself as a kid going, man, you know, I, I never really have that group, if you will, that was like the elementary, middle school, right? That it all kind of broke up. You know, my, my closest friend, Sean, when we were coming up, he moved out, he moved up to Tallahassee middle school. So our group, my group kind of changed and morphed over time. And I love that part, right? Greatest strength, greatest weakness. I love the fact that I, I have so many friends in different groups and close friends in different places around. It was like that way in school for me. You know, I just I generally just sat at the football table, I guess, for lunch, right? So, you know, having it all spread out like that. Well, I used to be as a kid and say, you know, where's my, that group, right? Where we talk about when we did this or when we did that. And there's pros and cons, right? To each one, there's no perfect life. And then you watch things like friends, you go, oh, shit, you know, where's my group? Where's my girls, right? <laughs> so you hear them say, hey guys, my girls, girls night, right? Guys do it too, fellas night, right? Group night, whatever it is. I'll probably get emails from the progressive side. Random groups, right? But sometimes if we're focused on what we don't have as far as friends go, we miss what's really there, right? So it's not really black and white, right? Meaning a best friend or an associate, whatever we label that, what I really got used to doing was enjoying the season with whoever that person was, right? There's people that come in your life. uh, I've I've once used to talk about uh, the idea of the lone wolf before, right? That Every once in a while in a cold winter, one lone wolf will run into another lone wolf. And those two lone wolves may pack together for the winter and hunt together and help each other survive in a way. But when that snow starts to clear, those lone wolves will walk along their own way, right? One may find a pack, one may be killed, one may move on. But for that winter, those two wolves were each other's best friend. And many times when we try to hold on to those labels we've given people in our lives, my best friend or my best, best friend. And if you say bestie, unsubscribe from this podcast. 
But those labels, right? Then we hunt them and we try to match them to our schemas that we have, what we are raised on, right? What our, our what our parents did, what their groups of friends look like, right? What our friends' friend groups of friends look like. I mean, friends are so impactful. I write about in the book about, I, I talk about a kid going through the lunch line, right? In elementary school, he's moved to a new school. It's the first day he's lined up in the lunch line or she's lined up in the lunch line. Now, before he's even got that plastic tray, he's looking around about where am I sitting? Or she's looking like, oh, where do I sit? Where do I go? Right? Maybe I haven't met anybody yet. You know, the kid comes through the line, gets their last lunch, pay the extra quarter and get that fudge bar. And then as you turn the corner, right, that kid, the first thing that kid is looking for is where do I belong? Where will I be accepted? Right? Maybe looks for people that look or dress like uh, he or she does, right? Or something like that. But they're looking for that safety net, right? Where do I get in? And they may find the gesture or may, may get the Forrest Gump response, right? So he's taken. May happen, right? So with that kid is so influenced at the time that if that safety net is thrown out, if a group goes, hey, you know, over here, what they're immediately doing on the walkover is they're processing. What are they wearing? What are they saying? Are they making fun of me? Is it a safe place? And if they sit down and they find it's a safe place and they are accepted, well, that kid may be willing to change parts about who they are, what they wear, what they listen to, what they do, because that safety was provided. That's how influential our friends, our friend groups can be. And the ones we choose, those around us. You know, I, I like to say anybody that gives a shit about me, I'd call a best friend. I mean, where's that subjective line with you with what means a friend? I'm sure you got your line of truth, right? You're a friend as long as you cross this line or no friends. Or maybe you've had friends that cross the line. You don't matter and it's just bros all the way. Just your girl to you no matter what. Maybe you have that sex in the city group too, huh? Another influential social influence from the television generation. So we match what our friend network looks like based on these influences and act like they don't. And maybe we keep friends around for certain things, right? But my point is, if we're so focused on how a friend isn't being like a friend used to be, or how we'd wish them to be, or they're not giving back like we give, or they're not wanting to cultivate that friendship, or they're not seeing it that way. Well, then you're missing that relationship as long as it was there. And you're stopping the idea that when it is over, maybe if it is over, that that was your winter with the other wolf. That was your two stories to share. And that's the beautiful part, right? That's the diary or our black book of collection of friends of wolves that we've packed with through our lives. I feel honored to share with people that were in my life, that are out of my life, that choose to be out of my life or choose to be in my life or maybe life just happened and we lifed, right? And it's hard to keep up or stay in touch, right? Or cultivate those friendships. I'm guilty as shit for that, for sure. But enjoy the season of that friend that's in your life now and don't fret about how long that may last or what you got to do to hold on to it. And please don't change who you are, what you do, what you love, what you believe to try to keep some sort of friendship like that. If it's got to go, let the season move on and let that season change because your perception of what that friendship is, is what's most important. The perception perception of what that flag means, what kneeling means, or what it really means to be depressed when you're talking to a kid. It's all based on that simplistic fact of perception. 
but can we challenge our own experience of the roller coaster? We wrote it, motherfucker. I know it was this. Can we challenge that? See, if you ask me, that's where you start with anything. If your first response to something is a concrete yes or a concrete no, well, then pump the brakes and go, oh, I know there's no truth, and I'm stating something like it's scientific fact, like it's right here. It's a good place to get competent. Start by questioning self before we start spewing and enforcing our own concrete beliefs of our life, of our human experience, down other people's throats, essentially cutting away the freedom to be self, to think for ourselves, to teach our young ones how to think for themselves, to be proactionary. And maybe if this country pulls together to be a little less reactionary to every fucking social media post, and we get proactionary together and pull something together and give everyone the right to their own perception of whatever that in, whatever that event is or whatever that moment was. Maybe we can get by this color divide that has so infected our country and continues to grow at a cancerous rate. If you want the respect to your perception, to your story, to your narrative, and we have to be respectful to others' right to that same perception creation. That's where we find little ground, y'all. I hope taking care of you. If you want to come personally work your cognitive rampage with me, October 21st, I'm in Orlando, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can buy tickets on the website. If you're a Tribe of Change member on Facebook, you get a discount or if you bought the book email a picture of it but it's going to get serious at that uh, workshop kick in your front door cognitive dissonance it's interactive too so it's going to be fast paced and you will get called upon and your concrete beliefs certainly will be challenged but through that struggle right through that struggle that creates the growth let's just hope all this struggling that we're doing in this country to come together hopefully creates an actual great America. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your cognitive rampage. Love you.